You're listening to the Weekly Sermon Podcast from Liberty Family Church. For more information about our church, head to the website, libertyfamilychurch.net.au. Guess what? We've come to the end of the Old Testament. Woohoo! How's that? So if you're, uh, if you're visiting with us today, we've been on a bit of a journey for the whole year, actually. Pretty well our entire year has been a journey through God's story, all the way from Genesis, and we will be going all the way through to Revelation, and we're going to get there just before Christmas. How's that? It's pretty good. Oh, come on, I thought you'd be more excited than that. <laughs> so what we're going to do today to, to wrap up our time in In the Old Testament, we're going to explore the very final book in the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. It's a short book, but it's a book that in many ways it perfectly sums up God's story thus far. So many of the themes that we've been looking at, so many of the the little mini stories that point to bigger themes that are going on, themes that mankind's issues and all that sort of thing and God's relentless love, Malachi very much sums up a lot of these. It's, it's a pretty tough read, Malachi. If you've ever read it before, it's, it's short, but it's confronting. It, it doesn't shy away from saying it how it is because God is actually speaking through the prophet Malachi. And it contains lots of warnings, but also lots of words that offer remarkable hope to a people who are waiting. And so, you know, it, it's a book that if we allow it to, actually really cut to the core and challenge our own hearts, just as it did for the nation back in its day. So are you ready? Let's do it. Holy Spirit, we invite you to just come and move in power this morning. Come and move, Lord, in the ways that only you can. Lord, I pray that even as, as I'm sharing words, Lord, that you would divinely and supernaturally just be making land those words and those thoughts and just those, those words of truth just plant in our hearts, the bits that really need to for every single one of us, God. Help us, Lord, to, to really have ears that are, that are ready to hear, eyes that are ready to see, hearts that are open to what you want to do in our hearts afresh today, Jesus. We, we are so hungry to, to know you more. We are so hungry to connect with you and eat of this living bread in your word. And so, God, we pray that you would do that as only you can do. I can't do that. No man can do that. Only the Spirit of God can do that. So bring revelation to our hearts, Lord, we pray. And may that revelation lead to genuine, heartfelt ongoing life transformation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that was a half-baked effort. Looks like his heart's not in it. He really compromised on that play. Now, for those of us who love footy, you probably would have said that every five minutes when you were watching Sydney play in the grand final. But for those who were watching, um, who, who love footy, you would have heard statements like that over and over and over again. Maybe you said them at the TV as you watched it. You know, it might be a moment 
in a match. There's always that moment where the defender's back there with the forward, the ball's kicked inside 50, and there's the hole. And no one wants to go in the hole, but you need to go in the hole, because that's your job. So as a player's going back, going back into the hole, sees Buddy Franklin coming and ducks for cover and runs out of the way. And then you hear statements like that. That was a half-bake effort. That's right. <laughs> and the player, you know, is often more concerned about his own safety, which, fair enough, if you've got Tom Hawkins coming at you, you're probably a bit concerned. And he makes a token effort, shirks away from physical contact, and then what often happens, and the commentators love to, to pick up on this, what often happens is the compromise leads to an easy mark for the opposition and then often leads to an easy goal. And then you just hear it again as, as the teams are getting, coming back to the middle. Oh, that's really not a good look. He might be wearing the jumper, but he's certainly not playing like he should be wearing the jumper. His heart's not in it. Wowee. I don't think he could broadcast the message his coach has given him on the blower right now. He won't be looking forward to halftime. That's kind of what we get. And, you know, it's, it's a bit strange, but bear with me. You know, in a, in a parallel way, in a parallel way, Malachi's message highlights an issue that has plagued and has hampered the team of Israel, the nation of Israel, so far in God's story. And this is an issue that continues to plague and continues to hamper us to this day. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the issue of half-baked worship. The book of Malachi records the words of Malachi, a prophet whose name means my messenger. That's what his name means. And Malachi was a contemporary of Ezra and Nehemiah. So if you can think back for those who were, have been with us on the journey quite a few weeks ago now, but he was a contemporary of these guys. And in context, in the history, he, he was one who was there for Israel around the time that some of the people left exile and went to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the, the walls and the temple, but, but also, in a very real sense, to rebuild God's community, to rebuild people's um, in a spiritual and relational sense as well. And Despite Ezra and Nehemiah's best efforts, you have a look at the end of Nehemiah to, to hear a prophet just saying, God, I tried. Don't hold it against me. <laughs> um, besides their best efforts to encourage and rebuke and warn God's people to get back on track and return wholeheartedly to God, they didn't. Compromise set in. Despair set in. And instead of wholeheartedly, with everything, committing themselves to God, and following his commands, God's people continued on that downward spiral of sin. And the hearts of God's people became hard, and their devotion and worship became lukewarm. Now, you might remember, it wasn't just your average Joe Israelite who was doing this, who was behaving like this. People with key leadership roles in the nation of Israel were doing the very same things. Uh, priests serving God in the, in the temple, they were also caught up in compromise and sin. And if you want to see some examples, have a read of Nehemiah chapter 
13, and you'll see how that was all going down. Now, we're not quite there yet. It's a good reminder for us to remember that all of us, every single one of us, no matter the level of service, no matter the level of responsibility we hold in Christian community, no matter the number of years we've even followed Jesus or how spiritually mature we are, all of us are susceptible to compromising and growing lukewarm in our worship of God. Every single one of us. Israel had become half-baked in their worship. They weren't giving God their all from their actions, from the way they were living out their lives. It was clear, clear as day for everyone to see. They were showing, they were demonstrating that what, on the inside, their hearts actually weren't in it. That they weren't fully into enjoying and worshipping and making the sacrifices in order to know and commune with Yahweh. Their hearts were hard and their devotion and worship half-baked and lukewarm. So when you take your time this week to read through Malachi for yourself, you'll see how quickly, you'll, you'll quickly see, sorry, how Israel were cutting corners and compromising in their worship. In Malachi 1.8, we discover that they were actually intentionally keeping aside the best animals for themselves. You see a funny picture there. And they were giving God the, the second-rate animals to sacrifice. And if, if you're familiar with the, the Levitical law, what was the requirement for the animals? They were to be perfect, unblemished animals. So they were keeping the perfect ones for themselves, and they were giving God the dodgy animals. And God, rightly, with a whole lot of satirical language through the prophet Malachi, he takes issue with their offering. He says this, When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favour, says the Lord of hosts. Don't you love God? He's got such a sense of humour, doesn't he? But seriously. And you know, the spiritual leaders of Israel, they, they only pretended to honour the Lord. They fulfilled their duties. They looked the part on the outside. But Scripture says their hearts were actually far from God. Their hearts weren't in it. And God gave them a stern warning in Malachi chapter 2, 1-2. He says, And now, O priest, this command is for you. If you will not listen, if you will not take it to heart to give honour to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you do not lay it to heart. Whoa. As we saw in Ezra and Nehemiah, God takes issue in Malachi 2 with the way his people just weren't honouring the marriage covenants that they had gone into. They were taking their covenants lightly. They were actually divorcing the wives of their youth in order to shack up with other wives, other foreign wives. And God reserves some pretty strong words for them in Malachi 2, 14 to 16. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in, the spirit, in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth 
For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not be faithless. He doesn't hold any punches, does he? And then in Malachi 3, chapter 3, verse 6 to 12, God actually follows on with another warning. He gives a strong warning to people who were withholding their wealth as an offering to God. Um, you know, in, the, in that day, predominantly, people's wealth was caught up in what they could produce. So their, their crops, their uh, valuable crops. And he was taking issue that they weren't actually giving him, giving him, giving him, giving things to him as an offering with the right heart. And God says that when they do that, they're actually robbing him. Read Matthew, um, Malachi 3, 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Well, that's a good thing. He's still faithful even when we sin. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, said the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Now, full-on warnings, but all of this is it's just really tragic, isn't it? This is where God's people have ended up. This is where God's people are. After all they've been through, after all the opportunities, all the chances, all the times they've witnessed God coming through in truly unbelievable and remarkable ways for them, God's people just stick, part, stick hard on their path of sin and compromise and continue to offer the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, half-baked worship. Friends, we really need to see this. When I say see this, I don't mean just see it and go, oh yeah, that's bad, that's tragic. I mean see it and feel it in our hearts. Yeah? This is a consistent theme throughout all of God's story. Not just the Old Testament, as we'll see as we continue in to the New. Here's, here's what we see over and over and over and over again in Scripture. God is primarily concerned about our hearts not about the outward presentation, outward appearance. God is primarily concerned about our hearts, not our outward appearance. You know, what's the first command God gave his people? Deuteronomy 6, 4-6 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be where? On your heart. And what did God say to Samuel? Thinking back to appointing a king, what did God say to Samuel when he looked at Jesse's eldest son, Eliab? 
He, he, he was the king. You look at him and he had muscle on muscle. He had the luscious locks. He had it all going for him. He, he looked like he was the perfect king. Outwardly, he looked the real deal. Do you remember what Prophet Samuel, what God said to the Prophet Samuel? 1 Samuel 16, 7. He said, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. Why? Because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God's primarily concerned about our hearts, not our outward appearance. One of the key issues that Israel faced then and we face today, if we're really honest, and we're in church, we like to be honest, don't we? We're an honest people. We like to be real. Yeah? One of the key issues Israel faced, we face today, is what theologians call dead orthodoxy. Now, don't hear theologian and switch off. This is really important. Let me explain why it's important. Orthodoxy simply means authorised or generally accepted theory, doctrine and practices. Right? So, dead orthodoxy means dead theory, dead beliefs and dead practice. Does that make sense? So holding to spiritual truths that are true, keeping and practicing spiritual rituals that are good rituals and practices, but holding to them and looking the part on the outside all the while while being dead on the inside, not having hearts that are fully invested, not worshipping God with everything we've got. That. That's dead orthodoxy. Here's uh, an example that is in Malachi of this, courtesy of uh, my study Bible. It says, A sign of such dead orthodoxy is when doctrinal truth is acknowledged. So in Malachi 2.10, Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? And yet love for one's neighbour is neglected. Which brings God's judgment against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. Do you see that? They're, they're, they're looking the goods, they're doing the deal, but their hearts just aren't there. They're half-baked. They're holding firm to the key beliefs, the theological concepts. They're even doing the actual practices that are required by the law but they're not doing any of it. They're not, they weren't living out their faith in the right spirit with pure and soft and grateful to God hearts. They'd compromised in their orthodoxy, their theory, their doctrines, their practices had become dead. They had actually grown lukewarm in their love for God and it really showed. And friends, the danger for Israel back in Malachi's day, and for us today, is that if we're not careful, if we don't keep a watch on our own hearts and lives, dead orthodoxy can creep in and destroy us too. Dead orthodoxy destroys God's beautiful church. Dead orthodoxy destroys local faith communities. 
And dead orthodoxy destroys beautiful, created in the image of God, individual Christians as well. Let's bring this bang right home for us today. I've said this over and over again over this year, and I'll say it again. Friends, we are just like the Israelites. We are just like the Israelites. We don't face exactly the same challenges that God's people did back in Malachi's day, but we still face and still deal with the very same heart struggles today. Our orthodoxy can very quickly, if we're not careful, if we don't keep a watch on our own walk, can easily become dead too. Because who knows, if we've been a Christian for a little while, it's kind of easy to kind of talk the talk, isn't it? We know the Christian thing to say. We know the, the belief. We know the kind of thing that, that God invites us to do as we worship him and follow him. And we can easily talk the Christian talk without actually living the Christian walk. We can, all of us can, over time, get stuck and stale in our faith. We can get caught up in doing all the things that look to anyone else in society, in our community, on the outside, that we're all in, that we're fully invested, that we're wholeheartedly worshipping and serving God with all our energy, all the while not actually worshipping or serving God at all. We can be a whole lot like the Israelites in the Old Testament in this regard. We can be, and we don't like this, I'm saying it with love, I'm in this boat too. We can be a whole lot like the Pharisees of Jesus' day, the whitewashed tombs, as Jesus himself called them. And we certainly don't like to put us in this camp with the church in Revelation 3 in Laodicea. Don't like that. But we too, we too can be neither hot nor cold. We too can be lukewarm in our faith and love and reverence for God. Friends, all of us, all of us, all of us are tarred with the same brush. All of us have, mankind, have a pervasive, sinful tendency to settle. Just to settle. Should have had a deck chair here, shouldn't I? To, to, settle into, to settle into patterns of offering God half-baked worship with our hearts actually not fully in it. Now, look, I know this is a pretty tough and straight word today, uh, but, but yeah, God just really laid this on my heart. And we, we need to hear this. We need to hear it. We need to hear this as a warning, but also as an encouragement about what then to do in response. And it really is. It's love for you. And it's a desire on my part, and I know on God's part, to see you fully alive, free, worshipping God with joy and with everything you've got. That's why I'm sharing this word today. So let's all hear this today. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to bring clarity and conviction right now to each of our spirits. Look, if we get nothing else, at all from our God's story journey this year other than this truth, receive it. 
Receive this one and allow Holy Spirit to really plant it deep within your heart. Make it life-changing for you because it, it can be. Maybe some of us have experienced this before as we've let this in our hearts. God's primarily concerned about your heart and not your outward experience. Hear that today. God is primarily concerned about your heart and not your outward experience. You know, we mightn't bring dodgy animals, blind and lame animals, to sacrifice to God anymore like the people were doing back in Malachi's day, but how often do we bring dodgy sacrifices of our own to God in terms of quality and maybe quantity of time we're willing to actually offer him out of our same hours in every day and every week. We've all got the same hours, but how often do we compromise in that way? How many times do we offer God something in terms of our time or our talents and just kind of settle with that and go, oh yeah, well that's good enough. That's good enough. While actually, and this, this hurts, while actually saving the choice offering for our own benefit. So we can spend time in our deck chair on our deck in the sun. God's primarily concerned about our hearts, not our outward appearance. What about the spiritual leaders and priests? Not all of us have roles as spiritual leaders, but the lesson to take away from this, I guess, is that all of us can go through the motions when it comes to our worship. We can look by all accounts through maybe the values we hold, like Andrew Thorburn, or the way we use our resources, even the way we visibly worship God on a Sunday morning. We can all, in so many ways, look the part on the outside. And in the end, only God and you actually know this. We can look the part on the outside while actually being spiritually far from God, with hearts that are lukewarm or perhaps even cold toward him. God's primarily concerned about our hearts, friends, not our outward appearance. You know, for those of us here and, and listening who are married, we might be actively seeking a divorce in real life from the husband or the wife of our youth, but we may be as well as divorced from our spouse internally in our hearts. Our marriage relationship might actually be suffering as a result of us shacking up with other people in our hearts through lusting after others in our own private thought life or seeking sexual gratification, having our way with women and men, other women and men created in the image of God through viewing pornographic videos or images or watching graphic sex scenes on Netflix. You know, God's primarily concerned about our hearts, not our outward appearance. Most of us here in the valley aren't farmers with all of our riches tied up in what we can produce from the land who withhold a, a full tithe, a generous heartfelt offering to the Lord. But how often do we get caught up in the love of money? How often do we get caught up loving money and become stingy? Tight Terry. Sorry if there's a Terry watching or something. I don't know any Terry who's tight. How often do we give God offerings with, uh, well, at least that's something. Or, or, I've, done my, I've done the deal. I've, I've 
paid my way now. That'll do kind of spirit. Not with a truly generous, thankful, worshipful spirit as we, well, that, that really comes to us as we reflect on all the ways that God has been so generous and wonderful and loving and kind to us in Christ Jesus. God's primarily concerned about our hearts, not our outward appearance. Friends, God longs that we, just like he longed for the people back in Malachi's day, he longs that we would love and cherish and honour and enjoy him wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly with everything we've got. That we wouldn't be people who would just settle. We wouldn't just settle in our faith or in our pursuit of him, but that we'd worship him with all of our hearts, that we'd refuse to offer him, that we would be bold and strong and humble enough before him to recognise that we perhaps have been offering, what we have been offering is a little half-baked and that we'd refuse to offer him that kind of worship anymore. What we're going to do is we're just going to have a time of prayer ministry in just, just a moment. And, you know, I just, I just really felt like as I was prepping for this, it's been a few weeks now because we didn't get to the message last Sunday, but I really felt that, that God strongly put on my heart, he said, I want to refresh spirits and restore hearts. That's what God wants to do today. He wants to refresh spirits and restore hearts. So that's what he wants. It's what he always wants. And it's as simple as that. And so that's the invitation today. And I just want to encourage you that if that's you, you know, you might, be, you might be even be hearing that now and say, well, that sounds good, but, but you don't know what's going on for me, Joel. You don't know how stuck I am. You don't know the, the trouble I'm in. You don't know my lot in life. I've tried before. God's just not interested in sorting me out. He's got more important things to deal with than my lot in life. Can I just encourage you? God has time for the one, and he's got time to sort you out, to encourage you, to refuel you, to refresh you, to see you and your heart become fully alive and fully invested in his worship and in pursuit of him. Every single one of you. That is his heart. So it's what he wants to do. And, you know, Jesus, he's gentle and kind, isn't he? What, what does he say? was one of the key passages that reveals the heart of God. I am gentle and lowly. That's what Jesus says. It's revealing his character, his nature. He's gentle and lowly. And he loves to restore anyone who are willing, humbly willing to come and approach him. As Isaiah 57.15 describes, and you know, who knows God's the same today, yesterday, forever. His heart hasn't changed. He still dwells in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Friends, that's the invitation today. Jesus wants to revive your spirit. He wants to revive your heart. Will you let him do that today? Maybe if we could have, I don't know, Laura, if you can come, perhaps, just to strum away, and the music team if you want, or whatever. Um, 
and we'll just have a time of, of prayer together right now. So if you want to come forward in a moment and receive some prayer, I'd love to pray with you and see you become fully alive with hearts, fully revived to worship him in spirit and in truth with all you've got.